from around the world. This is the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. And welcome to the Sonic Society, the world's largest and longest-running showcase of modern audio drama. I'm Jack Ward, and happily, I am right here with my co-host, David Alt. Yes, good morning, one and all. Now, an old man is found dead after a mysterious fire destroys a house in a wealthy neighbourhood. Was it a simple accident or a sinister murder? Newspaper reporter Anne Rogers believes that the police have it all wrong and decides to prove it. All of this can only come from a hot copy radio theatre and can only be the episode Sweet and Hot. And the spiciness begins right here on the Sonic Society. Welcome to Hot Copy Radio Theatre. You are about to hear a cast of very talented voice performers recreate a long-lost episode of Hot Copy, an exciting audio drama about the wild adventures of a young woman newspaper reporter, which was broadcast on the NBC radio network between 1941 and 1944. This recreation is adapted from the original script. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. It's time for... Hot Copy, the vivid drama behind the paragraphs of a daily newspaper column. Hot Copy is the absorbing story of a young newspaper woman, Anne Rogers, a clever, attractive girl with a nationally syndicated column, Second Glance, in which she covers many events which other, less courageous reporters would be afraid to touch. Her stories, in the words of her adventurous profession, are always Hot Copy. Today's new and exciting episode, Sweet and Hot, originally broadcast on November 21st, 1943. Yes, yes. Who is it? Oh, it's you. So you got my note, eh? Well, come in, come in. Don't just stand there gaping like an idiot. I won't ask you to sit down. What I'm going to say won't take long. I received a letter this morning. A registered letter. Addressed to me, at the office, where it was readdressed and forwarded to me here at my home. The only trouble was that the letter had been opened and resealed. An artistic job. Oh, a very artistic job. Wouldn't have been able to tell it had been tampered with, except that over a thousand dollars worth of negotiable securities were missing. And this isn't the first time I've been robbed in exactly the same way. This pilfering has been going on for quite some time. Too long. 
In fact, so long that I decided to do something about it and learn the identity of the thief. So this time, I mailed that letter to myself, and all those securities were marked. <laughs> oh, you don't like that, eh? <laughs> Disposed of some of them already, have you? I was pretty sure you would. So all I need to do to prove your guilt is call the exchange and ask them to describe the person who turned in those securities. And that's exactly what I'm going to do in about one minute. You realize what this means, of course. Not only your job, but your future as well. And I had thought a man in your position was supposed to be perfectly trustworthy. Well, we... Wait, uh... Wait, what? What do you... No. No, put down... Put down that letter opener. It's as sharp as a knife. No, keep your distance. No, please stop. Please, please help. Somebody help. Somebody help. Rogers, I've got work to do. It's okay for you to go lollygagging in the streets if you want to, but I have tomorrow's column to type, and... Oh, Sprightly, stop complaining and enjoy yourself for a change. Why, just look at this day. Gorgeous autumn weather, the leaves are all crimson and gold, the sky is like a veil of blue velvet, the breeze is as balmy as... The breeze is balmy, she says. Oh, I wish I had joined the army like I had planned to. Why didn't you, Sprightly? Well, if you really must know, I failed my mental exam. Oh, no! <laughs> hey, what's so funny? Thinking is hard for me. It's like all the thoughts just empty out of my head when I don't concentrate really hard. So, when a bunch of them get in there and get all jumbled up, I get really confused. And it makes my head hurt. That's why, when I took that mental test, I didn't do very good. Oh my gosh, Annie. It was more thinking than I usually do in a week. <laughs> Oh, Sprightly, you're priceless. Now please, be a good girl and let's enjoy ourselves. I just had to get out of the office and get some fresh air so I could blow the cobwebs out of my brain. But I hate to walk alone. I know, but if we have to take a walk, why couldn't we have strolled through the shopping district so we could look in the windows? No, I can't think when I'm over there. I want it to go someplace quiet and peaceful. I see. And, while you're at it, take a look at how the other half lives. Well, 
from the look of these miserable little 30-room hovels, they do all right by themselves, Annie. Well, don't look now, my sweet, but we're strolling through the wealthiest neighborhood in town. See that Spanish villa over there? It belongs to the mayor. He has six more, scattered from Maine to Miami. See that Dutch colonial? Belongs to Thomas Wainwright, president of Psst, the Third National Investment and Trust. What's the matter, Sprightly? See that Irish moose over there? It belongs to the city police department, and it's motioning to us. Come on, Annie, let's get out of here. Who? Wait! <laughs> Why, it's Mulligan! Hello, Mulligan! What are you doing way out here? <laughs> Hello, Miss Rogers. I was about to ask you the same thing. Changed me beat they did a couple of months ago. I'm in a quiet, respectable neighborhood now. Worst luck I never had. Sprightly, you must remember Officer Mulligan. He worked with us on that kidnapping case. Oh, of course. Sorry I didn't recognize you at first, Mulligan. <laughs> but that's my trouble. I can't remember names, and I always forget a face. So it's too quiet here for you, Mulligan. That it is, Miss Anne. After fifteen years in the districts, with crime on every corner, it's a letdown to be tramping a beat out here, where the loudest noise you hear is people counting up their stock dividend checks. <laughs> I suppose it is at that. Well, anyway, you're surrounded by the best people in town. Or, at least, the richest. True enough. I was just pointing out some of their homes to Sprightly. Yes, there are some very pretty homes around here. And a few that are mighty ugly, if you ask me. Now, take that one over there, for instance. They call it the Forester Mansion, but it looks like a dirty old fire trap to me. It isn't very pretty, is it? Victorian era. That was a hideous architectural period. Who did you say lived there? Forrester? Which one? Must be old Moneybags Forrester. The Chemical King. Right, Mulligan? Right, Miss Sprightly. He seems to have a visitor. There's someone on his front porch. Oh, that's only old Harkwell, the postman. Look, Miss Anne, if you're not busy, why don't you walk around me beat with me onst, and I'll point out the bigwigs' houses. Why, that would be wonderful. Fine. Let's turn this corner. Harkwell. Harkwell. Where have I heard that name? Of course. There was a Ralph Harkwell. He used to be one of the richest men in town before the Depression. He was in, um, if I remember right, he had a chemical company too. But obviously it's not the same guy. That's where you're wrong, Miss Sprightly. It is the same man. What you might call the irony of fate. Twelve years ago, he lived in one of these mansions. Today, he delivers mail to them, including to what used to be his own doorstep. And they say he'd still be living instead of working here if old Moneybags Forrester had given him a break in 1930 or so, around the start of the Depression. Really? 
Yep, just a small loan from Forrester to tide him over, and Harkwell would have weathered the storm. But instead, Forrester clamped down, and bingo! Today, Forrester owns both factories, and Harkwell is carrying mail for Uncle Sam. What a dirty thing to do! A man like that should be burned at the stake. Sprightly! Well, horse-whipped, anyway. Well, that's life for you. Oh, well. Now, there's a pretty house, Miss Anne. Belongs to Mr. Darby. He's got a big paint company. Shh. Wait a minute, Mulligan. What is it? Sounds like... Sprightly, please, be quiet. Fire, fire, the house is on fire. Call the fire department, somebody. Fire, there's a fire in the neighborhood. But where? There's a man running. Maybe he knows. Why, it's young Henry Beeler, Forrester's nephew. Oh, Mr. Beeler, Mr. Beeler. He didn't hear you. He must have heard me. He was certainly close enough to hear Come on, let's follow him. No, it's not in that direction. It's where we just came from. Around this corner. Oh, Mulligan, look! It's... Look! A forester home, that tinderbox. What did I tell you? Look at those flames. It'll burn to the ground before the fire trucks can get here. Here, let us through, please. It's a policeman! A fire! There's, there's a fire officer! Did anyone call the fire department? Stand back, everyone. Don't get too near. Officer, officer, Mr. Forrester is in there. <laughs> they were telling me this was the quiet side of town. Hello, Sprightly. Is Anne in her office? Oh, hello, Inspector Collins. Yes. Oh, Annie. Coming. Hello, Inspector. Morning, Anne. I'd like to introduce my good friend, Detective Sergeant Adams. He's making an investigation of the fire you saw yesterday. How do you do? Hello, Miss Rogers. You're investigating the fire? Do you mean it's an arson case? We don't know, Miss Rogers, yet. We'll be able to tell better today, now that the ashes are cool enough to let the arson squad make an examination. Meanwhile, we're checking up on a few other angles. Patrolman Mulligan tells me you were with him when the fire broke out? Yes. That's right. I believe you saw a young man running from the scene? Why, yes, we did. Mulligan said it was Forster's nephew. Yes. Do you think you'd recognize that young man if you saw him again? Yes. We saw him quite clearly. Good. Then I'd like you to come over to headquarters with me. A matter of routine identification. But we will be grateful for your help. Very well now. Quiet. Everybody. Please. I believe we're all here. Mulligan? Mr. Beeler? Mr. Forrester? Forrester? I thought he was killed in the fire. This is young Fred Forrester, the old man's other nephew. Oh. Now, gentlemen, I wish to apologize for annoying you at a time like this. 
but I know you both realize the necessity of. <clears throat> yes, of course you do. Now, Mulligan, suppose you tell us what happened. Well, sir, it's like I told you before. Me and the young ladies had just turned the corner off of that block and was strolling along, peaceful-like. When we heard shouts in the distance, we turned around and seen this young man running down the street across the intersection. Um, just a moment. Which young man, officer? Why, Mr. Beeler here. I see. Now, Miss Rogers? Miss Poole? Yes, Sergeant. Yes, Sergeant. Is this the gentleman you saw? Yes, sir. You're sure? Positive. This is quite unnecessary, Sergeant. Of course, the young ladies saw me, and I saw them. Really? Then why didn't you stop when Officer Mulligan called you? Didn't you hear him? Yes, I heard him. But I was hurrying to the fire alarm box on the next corner. There was no time to waste. That's right, sir. There is a box there. I see. Very well. Now you, Mr. Forrester, I understand you were not present at the fire. No, Sergeant. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even in the city yesterday. No? No, sir. As the office manager for my uncle, for my uncle's company, I'm frequently obliged to make business trips. I was over in Philadelphia when the tragedy occurred. The first time I knew about it was when they called me last evening to tell me. I understand. Well, perhaps you can help me in another way. Would either of you gentlemen say that your uncle was inclined to be, well, careless around the house? Did he knock ashes out of his pipe or leave cigars lying around? No, sir. Uncle Will didn't smoke. Indeed. Interesting. Well, then, something else. Would you say he was a man with enemies? Well, Mr. Forrester? It's hard to say, Sergeant. Uncle Will wasn't very popular, I must admit. He was known as a hard businessman. You mean with his competitors? Or with his help? Well, both. Personally, I always got along well with him. But that was because we were both very interested in the business. He seemed to be satisfied with my work. Go on. Well... What I'm going to say is, Uncle Will was easy to get along with, if you kowtowed to him. But, on the other hand, he could be very disagreeable when crossed or interfered with. Henry could vouch for that. Of course, it has nothing to do with the case, but as a matter of understanding my uncle. Gather, Mr. Beeler, that you and your uncle didn't get along very well. Oh, please, Sergeant. That is not at all what I meant. Well, I... That is... As a matter of fact, we didn't always see eye to eye. I wasn't much interested in the chemical business. And that annoyed Uncle Will, because he wanted Fred and me to inherit his company. But you say you weren't interested? No, sir. I... I always wanted to become an artist, but Uncle Will refused to hear of it. He insisted I remain with the company, although he did make the concession of letting me work in the advertising department. If you wanted to be an artist, Mr. Beeler, why didn't you ignore him? Follow your own desires. 
Well, sir, um, budding young artists don't make much money, and I was entirely dependent on my uncle for my income. I see. Well, I think that will be all for now, gentlemen. Thanks for coming down here. However, until our investigation is closed, I must request that you remain in town. We may need to call upon you again in the near future. Good day, gentlemen. Goodbye, Sergeant. Good day, sir. Callahan. Yes, sir. Two men just left my office. I want you to follow the younger one, the one with the brown hair. You understand? Yes, sir. Right away, sir. The one with brown hair? But, but that's Henry Beeler. Why are you having a detective watch him, Sergeant? Because, Miss Rogers, he was suspiciously near the scene of the crime, and because he is one of the heirs to his uncle's estate, and also because he desperately needed money in order to follow his selfish desires. Selfish desires? Just because he wants to be an artist? And also, Miss Rogers, because the city police department likes to solve its cases. Then you do believe it was arson? Have you forgotten, Miss Poole, that old man Forrester died in that fire? No, it isn't just arson we're investigating. Perhaps Inspector Collins didn't make my position clear. I'm connected with the Homicide Squad. And if my suspicions can be verified, the charge against Henry Beeler will be murder. We will return to our story in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. Well, actually, we don't have a sponsor. Yet. Except for you, our listeners. So, thank you, everyone, for listening. We had no idea there were so many people with such good judgment. We would also like to thank all of the talented women and men who created, wrote, and acted in the original radio version of Hot Copy back in the 1940s. Unfortunately, most of them have passed on by now, but we think it's important to remember them. And obviously, we hope that you think so too. Now, back to our story. Ann Rogers' stroll through the quiet streets of the city's wealthiest residential district proved far less peaceful than she had expected when she and Sprightly witnessed a mysterious fire resulting in the total destruction of the home of Will Forrester, a chemical company tycoon. Later, Anne and Sprightly were compelled to give testimony, which cast suspicion of arson and murder on young Henry Beeler, the nephew of the dead man. Anne, however, is not satisfied that Henry Beeler is the guilty party. Back at her office, she voices her discontent to Inspector Collins and to her editor, Mr. Graham. I tell you, I don't like it. It's just too pat, too perfect. One minute, we were walking past the house... A minute later, it was blazing like a Christmas tree. And just because Henry Beeler was there. Or perhaps only because he was there, Anne. Don't forget he had reasons for wanting his uncle to die. Money, discontent with his job. Those things don't turn nice young men into cold-blooded murderers, Inspector. Henry Beeler isn't the type. Type, type. Anne, don't talk to me about types. Honestly, after all my years in the newspaper business, I've come to believe that anyone can murder under the proper circumstances. 
I've seen silver-haired old grandmothers. If it comes right down to that, I'd pick Fred Forster for the killer type way before his cousin. He is a smug, greasy so-and-so, and I didn't like his shifty eyes either. Unfortunately, you can't hang a man because he won't squarely meet your gaze, Sprightly. And anyway, Fred Forrester couldn't have set that fire. He was in Philadelphia when it started. Oh, yeah? Perfect alibi, huh? Ever read a detective story, Collins? It's always the guy with the perfect alibi who... Yes, in detective stories, but not in real life. Maybe his alibi was a fake. He could have had a double substitute for him when he was in Philadelphia. And please, don't you credit us with any brains or imagination? We checked his story carefully, and at the same moment the fire broke out, Fred Forrester was sitting in a hotel lobby in plain sight of over a hundred people. But what about some sort of trick? A slow-burning candle or an electrical gadget of some kind? And must you always do things the hard way? Inspector Collins has an open and shut case. Besides, this is none of your business. Why don't you get to work on your column? Give us some of that hot copy you're famous for. This is hot copy, Mr. Graham. If I can solve the mystery, and there is a mystery, I know. I can feel it. Some syndicates have columnists with brains. Some have columnists with crusading instincts. But I have one with feminine intuition. No, Anne, there were no trick gadgets. The arson squad has been out there all morning probing around. They can always tell because electrical hookups leave wires in the wreckage. The ancient candle and oily rag trick will leave grease that shows up in spectroscopic analysis. Didn't you ever watch an arson squad do its job? Well, no. So perhaps it would convince you if you saw them? Come on, Annie, let's go. It might be a good idea at that. Yes, I think I'd like that very much. Well, here we are, Anne. Not much left of Forrester Mansion, is there? There's nothing left. Just a pile of ashes. Do you mean to tell me they can learn anything from this? I'll say they can, assuming there is anything to learn. Spinelli! Hi there, Inspector. Come on over. Spinelli, this is Miss Anne Rogers. She's the reporter that writes the column Second Glance. And this is her assistant, Miss Poole. Girls, meet Lieutenant Spinelli of the Arson Squad. Hello. How do you do? Hi, Lieutenant. We read your column every day. Well, my wife and I, that is. Well, thanks. I'm glad to know it. Wish we had something here for you, but I'm afraid not. This is pretty cut and dried. What do you mean? Are you saying it wasn't arson? No. Fires as big as this don't start on their own. They need to be set deliberately. But this was the good old light a match to the curtain and let a blaze type. What makes you so sure, Lieutenant? Science, Miss Poole. You can fool the human eye, but you can't fool the instruments. If there had been any oily rags, grease, explosives, or delayed action gadgets anywhere around here, 
our spectroscopic analysis of the ashes would have revealed the nature of any materials that were used. And despite all that, you found nothing? Nary a thing, except faint traces of sulfur near the front door. That and a little potassium. And that means matches, generally. So, matches, it must have been. Then that definitely places the arsonist at the scene. Beyond a doubt. Did they arrest the young man yet, Inspector? Not yet, but they're shadowing him. They might as well pick him up. He done it, all right. Dirty crime, too. Trapping an old man in a burning house. Old man in a... Inspector, why didn't anyone think of that before? Think of what, Anne? Forrester. He was in the house, but he never tried to get out. We were right here. We saw the whole thing. He didn't even cry for help. We did think of that, Anne. Of course, we can't tell anything from his body. It was burned to a crisp. But we think he must have been killed, or at least stunned, before the fire was set. Oh, I see. Um, look, Inspector, if the young ladies will excuse us for a minute, there is something I'd like to talk over with you. Of course. Sure. What's up, Spinelli? Come, come over here, in Inspector. Well, Anne? Looks as if I was wrong, doesn't it? But I still can't believe Henry Beeler would kill his uncle and then deliberately set the house on fire. He isn't the type. Sprightly! Yes? Look! Coming down the street! Where? Oh, it's the postman. Hawkwell. Yes. Oh, Sprightly, we've been blind fools. Remember yesterday? He was on the porch when we were walking by with Mulligan. Hey, you're right. Annie, do you think maybe he... Why not? He hated Forrester. He ruined his business. And yesterday we saw Harkwell on the porch as we were passing the house. He could have easily snuck inside a moment before. Jeepers creepers. I bet you've got something there, Anne. So what do we do? Make a call to Collins? No. We're going to have a little chat with Postman Harkwell. Come with me, Sprightly. Oh, ah, there. Postman? Yes, miss. Hello, sir. We're newspaper reporters working on a story about the fire here yesterday. We thought you might be able to help us. I don't know anything about it. But we heard that you were delivering mail here around the time when it happened. Perhaps you saw someone or noticed something? I'm sorry I didn't see anything. Now, miss, if, if you'll just let me by... But all we want is your observations. I didn't make any. I don't have any. I was minding my own affairs, which is what you should do also. Now, please, please let go of my arm. I, I, let, let go of me. I said, let, oh, no. Now look what you've done. Made me drop my bag. Letters are spilled all over the sidewalk. Uh, I'm sorry. Here, I'll help you. Never mind. I can do it myself. Takes me two hours to sort these in the office, then you knock them all over. Please let me help pick them up anyway. Me too. 
Here's a handful. And here's some more. Wait, look. There's some kind of white sand, and it's pouring out of your bag. What? Here, it's, it's sugar. Sugar? How did that get in my bag? And why? Sugar. Hmm. I wonder. Sprightly. Yes, Anne. Let's get back to the office and quick. I think my woman's intuition is really beginning to operate. So, Johnny, you're absolutely certain. I mean, since you know all about things like that, and I'm just a. You are? Oh, thanks. Honestly, thanks a million. No, I can't tell you now, but you can read all about it in my column tomorrow. Hello, Standard Pharmacy. This is Ann Rogers calling. I need a delivery. Could you please deliver the following items: a box of cough drops, a package of sugar. Yes, I said sugar, and also a pint of. Hello, Sergeant Adams. This is Ann Rogers. If you will bring the following men to my office immediately, I think we can solve the Forrester case for you. Now, Miss Rogers, I've done as you requested, not of my own volition, but because Inspector Collins ordered me to. That's enough, Sergeant. Now, Anne, will you please be kind enough to explain why? Yes, Inspector. In just a minute. But first, Sprightly, do you have the ingredients? On deck, Annie. Ingredients, Anne? I don't understand. You will. <laughs> Now let me see. Mr. Beeler, Mr. Harkwell, Mr. Forrester. I trust you realize, Miss Rogers, that being forced to come to your office constitutes an illegal false arrest. I can and I will sue you and the city for this outrage. Sorry, Harkwell, that's where you're wrong. You are not under arrest. You are merely requested to come here for questioning. We understand, Sergeant. These things are troublesome but necessary. You um have unearthed additional information, I presume. He hasn't, Mr. Forrester. But I have asked you here because I need your help on a little matter of chemistry. You are an expert in such respects, I believe. Well, actually, no. You see, I'm merely the office manager of the factory. I know very little about the science itself. My cousin here is quite well informed. Me? That's ridiculous, Fred. You know perfectly well. I never could understand. It doesn't matter. I'll demonstrate, and perhaps the two of you can explain the phenomenon for us. You see, my theory is that your uncle was not killed by the fire that destroyed his home, but he was murdered before that fire was ever set. In other words, the fire was set merely to cover a worse crime: murder. What? How? Really, Miss Rogers? That is completely ridiculous. Well, in the interest of pure science, and in order to double-check a report I have from another chemist, I wish to conduct a small experiment. In this bowl, I've poured about a half pint of a highly corrosive acid. Now, in this other container, I've put common table sugar. 
And over here, a box of ordinary cough drops. Sugar, cough drops, and for goodness sakes. Please, Inspector, just watch. I will now grind up the cough drops. I will pour the powder into the sugar. Now, we are ready for the experiment. Mr. Beeler, will you please add this mixture to the bowl? Why, certainly, but... No, wait. Mr. Harkwell, you do it. Young lady, this is the silliest thing I've ever heard of. But if you insist... No. Oh, silly, aren't I? Can't seem to make up my mind. <laughs> so, Mr. Forrester, you do it. Me? Yes, please. Just pour this mixture into that bowl on the desk. Now, really... I just can't see the sense of this. Inspector Collins, I'm not sure why, but Mr. Forrester seems to be unwilling to cooperate. Do as she says, Forrester. No. You won't? I most certainly will not endanger myself, just to satisfy a silly feminine whim. Endanger yourself? Forrester, I thought you didn't know anything about chemicals. I, well... Any fool knows... Yes, how the fire was set. But Harkwell didn't know. He was willing to mix the explosive elements. Your cousin didn't know. He reached for the dish I offered him. But you were the only man here who realized that common sugar mixed with a certain chemical, commonly found as an ingredient in certain old-type cough drops, forms a highly explosive mixture when poured into a corrosive acid. You little vixen. So you decided to set a trap. I should have guessed what was going on. Stand back, all of you. Annie, get back. He grabbed the bowl of acid. You bet I did. I'm holding it right here in my hand. And you know what it can do to a person's face, don't you? Burn the living flesh right off the bone. Well, just keep your distance, every one of you. You're a clever girl, Miss Rogers. Too clever. Yes, I killed the old miser. So what? He deserved it. Mr. Forcer, it is my duty to warn you that anything you say can be used against you. I know all that. But you're not going to take me, see? Because the moment that either you or the sergeant goes for your gun, this acid will go straight into Miss Rogers' eyes. Got it? No one has anything to say? That's better. You can't get away with this, Forrester. That's what you think. Well, I want the gun. Hand it over. Come on, come on. I want it now. Just give it to him, Sergeant. Please. No! Don't! Shut up, you little fool, and stop your scheming. I warned all of you. One false move and... All right, you asked for it. Here it comes, right into your face. No! Anne! Good heavens, Anne! Annie! Annie! Call a doctor, someone, quick! Oh, Annie, your face. No, no, I'm all right. Honest, I'm all right. But how? The acid? It wasn't. It was plain water. I just tinted it to resemble acid. 
I was afraid that Forrester might try something crazy after he was exposed, so I decided not to take any chances. But, Inspector, I see Forrester down on the floor over there. Is he... dead? Yes, Anne. Just as well. He probably would have gotten the death penalty anyway. But I... I still don't understand, Miss Rogers. If my cousin was in Philadelphia when the murder was committed... He wasn't. No, Mr. Beeler, your uncle was killed the day before the fire. Your cousin killed him, then figured a way to cover his crime. He placed, under the mail slot of the front door, a heavily waxed paper carton containing some type of acid. Then he went to Philadelphia, and from there he mailed two envelopes to his uncle's address. One envelope contained old-fashioned cough drops, specifically an old type that contained a chemical necessary to produce the desired reaction. The other envelope contained sugar. The sugar that was in my mailbag? Yes. The envelope must have gotten slightly torn along the way from Philadelphia, and some of the sugar ended up in your bag. Then, when those letters were dropped through the mail slot, they fell into the container of acid. It only took a few moments for the mixture to dissolve the paper carton. Long enough for Postman Harkwell to get away from the house. Exactly. And for us to turn the corner. Then the mixture exploded into a bright flame. And then that ancient fire trap of a house was burning up. Anne, do you realize that if Forrester hadn't got into a panic when you asked him to mix those ingredients, you never could have proved a thing? Yes, well, I realized that, almost from the moment my chemist friend told me about the method. It actually could have been that perfect murder, the kind that you read about in mystery stories. Except there was one thing that Fred Forrester happened to forget. What was that, Annie? There might be perfect murders, but they require perfect murderers. Thank you for tuning in to Hot Copy Radio Theater. This was our inaugural episode, so we truly hope that you enjoyed our presentation of Sweet and Hot, a lost episode from the radio audio drama Hot Copy, as originally broadcast on November 21st, 1943. Our cast on this episode featured... Rhonda Sigler-Ware as Anne Rogers, Samantha Thompson as Sprightly Poole, Christian Newhouse as Inspector Collins, Frank Guglielmelli as Fred Forrester, Scott Berry as Old Moneybags Forrester, George Worrell as Henry Beeler, Jerry Kokich as Officer Mulligan and Editor Graham, Aaron Ratson as Lieutenant Spinelli and Postman Hartwell, Ethan Horton as Officer Callahan, and yours truly, Chris Hansen as Sergeant Adams and also as your announcer. The story for this episode was adapted from the original script written by Nelson Bond. Hot Copy Radio Theater is produced under the direction of Jim Goodluck. Finally, if you would like to contact any of the voice actors from this episode, or if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions in regard to this program, please send an email to hotcopyradiotheater at gmail.com. Please tune in again on the 10th of each month for another stirring presentation of Hot Copy Radio Theater. And that's this week's show. Please check the show notes and links for Hot Copy Radio Theatre on sonicsociety.org. Take care of yourselves, folks, and until next week, I'm Jack Ward. And I'm David Alt. Have a lovely day. Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. 
All features, interviews, and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening. List of Don't Forgets and Remembers by Randy Forbes We were eight. Before September 11th, we would wake up with a list of Don't Forgets. Don't forget to wash your face. Don't forget to brush your teeth. Don't forget to do your homework. Don't forget to wear your jacket. Don't forget to clean your room. Don't forget to take a bath. After September 11th, we wake up with a list of remembers. Remember to greet the sun each morning. Remember to enjoy every meal. Remember to thank your parents for their hard work. Remember to honor those who keep you safe. Remember to value each person you meet. Remember to respect others' beliefs. Now, we are nine.